0: Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent.
1: Good day, and welcome to all of you who are listening in to In Conversation on Pension Funds. My name is Nikki Van Feren and I'm an attorney at Weber Wenzel specializing in pension fund law. Today, we're going to be looking at complaints relating to pension funds and what stakeholders could be doing to assist in reducing these. This seems to be a very general subject, but I think at its core is how pension funds and their stakeholders interpret the law, the processes they follow, and more importantly is how they secure the trust of their members. With me to discuss this today, I'm honoured to have Muvango Lukamani, the pension funds adjudicator. Muvango, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today.
0: Thank you very much for the invite. It's a pleasure for me to be with you. I think we're just going to jump straight into it. Your office
1: recently published its annual report for 2020 and 2021. And whilst you noted it had been one of your most challenging years, you were still able to take that opportunity and revise certain of your processes. And I think most notably in the area of how your office deals with complaints from members. One of these processes you noted was the refer-to-fund process. And I'd like to get feedback as to how stakeholders have engaged this and what has been the feedback on that.
0: I think that this has been one of the big changes that we have been able to make to our process in recent years. Stakeholders have really welcomed this because for those funds and administrators that have always been doing the right thing, um, they are able we are able to close a complaint as quickly as possible during that process. So within 30 days, we'd be able to tell both the complainant and the fund that we are satisfied with how the matter has been handled. And there is no need for us to lodge a full-fledged investigation into what the complainant might be raising. However, for those funds that have always had challenges, whether with their administration or with the manner in which they handle all sorts of other benefits, they have failed to see the benefit of this process because we still have to put their complaints through the whole investigation procedure owing to the fact that they are unable to reach resolution at that stage.
1: Yeah, and I think that those stakeholders where you've just mentioned haven't been doing things properly, um, I I think it is a problem. And what do you suggest these stakeholders do from their side to assist you in your office in reducing the number of complaints from their side?
0: I think one of the things that we, we didn't really want to have a situation where funds build an in house capacity for purposes of dealing with complaints because, owing to the fact that most of those complaints are related really to basic issues, if they is resolve and put their administration on the right footing, they wouldn't need to do that. So, it is important also that funds try and understand what the process is all about. For most funds that have had issues, either with their administration or all sorts of things that that lead to complaints, they have failed to appreciate what we were trying to do with the process. So they would submit a response which is not comprehensive, which means that the matter remains unresolved or they fail to even lodge a response, meaning that we have to fall back onto the formal process. So I know that people in anticipation of TCF have been building internal capacity within their funds to deal with um, complaints. However, for me, I think that is actually the wrong way to do it. For example, you can have a, a legal firm handle your complaints, but Make sure that your systems are correct so that those basic complaints you can actually resolve with admin staff. And the other complaints that require legal interpretation and all sorts of things or are complex, you can then refer to your external service provider.
1: Yeah, and and just to to continue with that you mentioned the the problems that some of these stakeholders have in their processes and you mentioned TCF but I think a lot of times the the problems that they have lead to the lack of trust that members have in those stakeholders so instead of a member um, feeling confident that they can actually go to the stakeholder whether it's the fund the administrator or the employer to try and assist them in resolving their, their dispute or their complaints there is no trust and they know that you've got a, a free uh, complaints process that you can just go straight to the the pension funds adjudicator and lodge your complaints and it gets dealt with by an authority. Um, What have you seen uh, regarding this lack of trust?
0: Well, the, the lack of trust is there. That is not something that um, is, is anecdotal. If you look at um, the, the TCF classification of our complaints, you will see that most of the issues arise from lack of trust. One of the things that funds do is they tend to give people information in drips and draps, and sometimes they give, they give standard information that doesn't properly address the specifics of what a particular complainant might be referring to in their complaint. So it's important that when when information is given, if it is information that a member is requesting, then that information should be specific to the complaint that, that, that the person has raised or to the issue that the member has raised. One of the most concerning things is that fans often give verbal responses through their call centers or through the human resources departments, they give verbal responses to what a a member is inquiring about. Then when the member decides to lodge a complaint with us, the response that we receive is completely different from what the member says they were told on exactly the same issue. And that is then some of what, Really ends up affecting the level of trust even worse.
1: Yeah, and and I think that goes to exactly what you said just now about the TCF processes. I think uh, many of the stakeholders know that they've had to get their TCF outcomes and policies and strategies in place, Um, and whilst they have got it documented, it seems in most instances that they don't follow it stringently, looking at the issue of the call centre now. It's all good and well to have that call centre, but if you don't have the follow-up processes in the complaints procedure, it's really null and void having that
0: process in the beginning it is true because often call centers are geared to give the most basic of information once the the caller actually gets into the nitty-gritties of why they called in the first place the person on the other end of the telephone often cannot answer the questions that the person has. And what is more worrying about funds is that the people that um, will be on leaflets to say that you as a member, you can contact this person or uh, the principal officers, the people that are statutorily supposed to respond to the questions of members are often the people that are unreachable. It's almost as if the call centre is geared towards keeping members away from those people.
1: So Mavongo, in your view, how do we resolve this trust issue? Um, I know in my experience, I've uh, spoken about training, putting stakeholders in a room and and really not basically regurgitating the law because I think in most instances they know the law but I think the practical application of the law is lacking. What from your side do you think these stakeholders should be doing to curtail this lack of trust that members have?
0: Unfortunately um, the the thing that is mostly required is a change in, in conduct and a change in behaviour and that is often That is often something that you cannot put together in nine easy steps or on some form of a template. It's something that you get to understand whether it's going right or going wrong when it is actually taking place. So... For me, it actually goes to a higher thing. If at the point that you are having people entering that are going to be working on processes like this, and these are not people that are service-orientated, These are not people that uh, worry about being accurate with the information that they are providing. If you get people that are not concerned about making a promise to get to to a member by the end of the day and then they don't do it. So all these things, if the teachings you can do you can say to people this is how 37c works this is how 37d works if a person wants a withdrawal benefit these are the what well, these are the forms that they must complete and all of that but the things that affect trust are all the other things that are not in those nine steps and i can tell you that i have had a look at many many training interventions and they don't even start to deal with those issues.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a very difficult topic to to get to the bottom of and, and to actually resolve. And like you say, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. You mentioned Section 37C and 37D, and we know there's draft legislation in the process at the moment. Um, do you think, and I know that we shouldn't be giving a checklist to to funds and stakeholders to tick things off and make sure that they've done their duty, but do you think that that legislation is going to assist them and, and as,
0: uh, perhaps assist them in gaining this trust? I don't have anything in... Because, I mean, people have to have some form of a basis for doing their work. And so I don't have a fundamental problem with service providers providing their funds or their administrators with a checklist. At the end of the day, what do you do when you have gone through all those steps and completed them? As long as you do not sort of Delegate your decision-making authority and power to consider all the facts that you are that are in front of you to some machine or to something because you know, um, what I have seen. Let me give you the instance with thirty-seven C's. I have seen people say. Oh, we use the road accident fund method of calculating who is entitled to add two parts to the mother, one part to the child, all sorts of things like that. then that is not how the bulk of the people in this country live unfortunately. the bulk of this of people in this country have got extended families that they are supporting other people have got former spouses that they are supporting. Other people have got their parents that they are supporting and and the most frequent, if you can believe it, which is something that I don't know how people don't build a solution towards that because that solution is certainly not forthcoming because that's where most of the thumb sucking happens. It's when you have to consider a person who at the point that they die have got a spouse, and a girlfriend or multiple girlfriends somewhere that they are supporting. So I don't have anything against models, but models are geared to a standard that does not exist.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And I think this is one of the the industries or perhaps um, the the stakeholders are part of an industry where it's not actually very easy to use AI, you know, and, and make everything automated. You know, they do have to apply their minds. And I think the knowledge of the law comes in there. But then again, like I said, the practical application also needs to take effect. I think also from my side, gaining that trust is, Decent and efficient communication to members. You know, it's one thing sending out an email and you get an annual benefit statement and perhaps an update of what's happening on the fund. But I think members miss the direct contact that you have. Just an update here or there. This is what the law is saying. So this is how we are amending our systems or something like that. What would you say um, regarding the
0: communication to members? I think one of the drivers of this loss of communication directly with members really has been the the consolidation with funds, you know, employers opting for umbrella funds and all sorts of things. Suddenly, there is no one really who has a handle on what is happening within the fund. And it's, it's actually something that is concerning because from a remuneration point of view, for most people, their pension fund is the largest investment that they will ever have. So it's it's one of those things where it's something that they should be paying attention to, but it's not there. And and this not this does not go only towards those people that might not have access to online modes of communication. Even even those that have got online modes of communication, I mean, I won't mention them, but I only, I only ever know of one or two administrators that really do regular, good communication to their members and everything. But then if you look at what they provide, it's also geared towards that the market that they service. But now you have in an umbrella fund, for example, you've got people handling from blue collar workers to executives. And so they are unable to tailor, make communication to everybody. Therefore, they settle for the bare minimum, which is a benefit statement. And then that's it. Whereas they have sold to the employer a vision of you are hands off this thing. So communication really has, has, has declined. It, it has deteriorated and I am not sure how people are going to ensure that it gets up again.
1: Yeah, I think for my this is where an employer, for instance, could start playing a bigger role in the fund. I'm um, generalizing when I say this, but I think a lot of employers sit back and they say, well, we've got a management committee, we have a quarterly meeting, we get information from the fund. But I don't think there is that communication between the employer and their member that can assist the administrator or the fund in increasing the trust that they have.
0: You are correct. That is not there at all. And you see it at the point where someone is trying to understand a a benefit that they might be entitled to. In fact, where it goes wrong and has got devastating, devastating impact on members is with um, claims for disability. Because claims for disability require the employer also to have kept some form of information, also require the employer to have notified the insurer or the fund at a certain point I mean, for all the disability complaints that I have seen, I am hard pressed to think of one where a complainant has been successful after being barred because of late notification or the employer having done something incorrectly that they didn't understand. And members have no clue They have absolutely no clue what happens at the point that they are disabled. They are just happy to have their sick leave days. Meanwhile, the time to notify the insurer is running. So these things have got very, very devastating implications. Sometimes you see people who have not amended their nomination form for ages on end. Suddenly they die. They don't have dependents, but the nominee, is not really the person that they would have wanted to have claim. But because they no longer have dependents and the nominee on record is that person that they selected 25 years ago, that's it. That's how the benefit gets allocated.
1: I was just about to bring up death benefits. Um, I think that's another aspect that employers can really improve on. Instead of just keeping a a nomination form, it it would really assist if they keep records of dependents, you know, on a regular basis. So that it will assist the fund when it does come to that time that, you know, they've got a list of dependents and they don't have to take up to the 12 months to go and look for them. They can
0: start somewhere. No, it's true. You are correct about the issue with with nomination forms. That that it is important that that record of dependence be kept, and that and that people be reminded to say, when have you last updated, along with all those things, so that people, you know, it's it's there at uppermost in your mind that you are supposed to do these things. But I also think that from a training point of view with employers, it's very important that employers are taught in those arrangements where employers have some... Um, sort of activity that they must do when there is a death claim. I think that there must be some sort of training to employers to assist them and say, this is how far you must get with the family, your responsibility is to get the documentation and all the things and pass them on to the fund. You find allegations in claims where complainants will be alleging that some person at the employer was trying to mediate or they feel that some person at the employer was the one that was trying to make sure that they don't benefit from the benefit that is available. So it is important that everyone is actually educated as to Why do we need you in the process and what are your responsibilities? And please do not overstep because when you do that, you sort of soil the whole process.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a very important point. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, Mavango. I'd love to carry on speaking to you about this. I think there's so much that we can talk about, but I think we've actually got a good basis on where to start looking, where stakeholders can start looking to start gaining the trust of the members. Do you have any final thoughts on this topic that we've been discussing today? I am confident
0: that if we put our heads together and we do the training correct that most people that are involved in the administration of funds really want to do good by the members. So I think it's possible we just have to make sure that we do the correct training and that interventions are done at the correct levels. Unfortunately
1: that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank my guest Muvango Lukamani, the pension funds adjudicator.
0: Thank you very much.
1: This has been Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. Our executive producer is Paula Jones. This podcast is produced for Weber Wenzel by volume. I'm your host, Nikki Fanfieren. Thank you for listening.
0: You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit weberwensel.com.